a tool to go places you couldn't reach with the finger. Welcome back to another episode of Geek Warning, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. It's Wednesday, March 15th. We've got a great show for you today. All kinds of things on this run sheet in front of me. Everything from a... a actually, we're going to kick off with a corrections corner, which uh, I think there's a fair number of those uh, in our future in Geek Warning. We've got a Dirty Dirty Dave segment. We've got some... We've got some news around some new Campagnolo wheels. That's exciting. Uh... We've got a couple things that are on our minds and over the heads of our families. So let's kick off with a corrections corner. Dave, you dropped this one in. Uh, we have a brief corrections corner on our discussion of the Conti Four season that, yes. uh, from last episode. W- what did what did we get wrong? Uh, I summarized it as a, a Gator skin merged with a GP three thousand, but uh, member mechanic extraordinaire from washington uh greg thomas was quick to reach out and let me know that uh, i was wrong uh it is uh it is apparently closer to a gp 4000 gp 5000 tire it's like black chili compound uh and it's yeah it's basically just like got an extra uh breaker belt in it compared to say a gp 5000 um and then it's got like a, a a protective covering over the top of the uh the sidewall um but otherwise it's it's a much higher end tire versus a a gator skin or uh yeah a, a dated gp3000 the gp3000 reference does uh does apply to the tread pattern which is shared from that older tire but anyway there you go for anyone thinking out there that that didn't sound right it wasn't do you regret the error uh no but i'm happy for people to correct me when i'm wrong <laughs> <laughs> uh all right well we'll move on from that uh we're, like i said we're gonna we're gonna kick off today's show with a bunch of news items that was just the first the next and actually this this thing that we're going to talk about we are technically under embargo until tomorrow which is when this podcast will go out so for the majority of the audience that is getting this through your headphones on the 16th we're fine uh however there are quite a few people in our live Discord member-only studio audience today. And so uh, to all of you out there, my request is that, um, shh, don't say anything for 24 hours. Uh, and I think I think we'll be fine. I don't know, Ronan, you didn't sign anything, did you? I think we're fine. Well, I've, I, I didn't even get this press release directly. So uh, no, I certainly did not sign anything. So, so then we're under no embargo whatsoever. We can do whatever we want, right? Technically, yes. <laughs> I'd say we're okay. under an embargo. Well, anyway. We're not under NDA. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, we didn't, although we didn't agree, agree to the embargo, so technically not we, that either. We, we anyway, also don't let's... want to set a precedence for having to sign things. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ronan, uh, assuming that everybody here is okay with that and is okay with uh, not shouting about this in the next twenty four hours, and what are we going to learn about formally? tomorrow from Campanillo. Uh well it's actually the wheels that we first seen at the Giro last year so almost almost a full what 10 months on since we first spotted them uh, with UAE riders it's Campagnolo's new Hyperon Ultra wheel set which will be available in their two-way fit which is clincher and tubeless compatible and will also be available in a tubular version um as we've already said, it is officially announced uh, on March 17th of this year and will feature a rum depth 37 millimeters deep, uh, 21 millimeter internal width, 27 millimeter external width. It's got Campy's cold ceramic bearings. Um, yeah, kind of new lightweight climbing wheel set from Camp Agnol. Which you must be pretty excited about. I certainly am, yes. Um, I like the look of these. I, um, well, I was going to say I quite like the fact they're, you know, still available in tubular, but I don't know if I do because realistically, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm done with tubulars. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm liking the look of this wheel set. Um, it's, it's got that typical sort of Campagnolo wheel aesthetic to it. Uh, you know, it looks, looks, looks great. 
uh, if it's anything like the other ones, it should uh, perform well as also. But of course, the major difference from Campag's other high-end wheels is that this has done away with the um, G3 spoke pattern, which has been so popular for for years. Uh, so that that's a big deviation. Whether or not it makes a difference, will only time will tell, or only a test ride will tell. There's a relatively large deviation coming in shifters as well. There is, yes. This I'm not so happy about. This I am appalled, outraged, devastated, um, done with cycling forever because of. Um, so maybe best somebody else takes on this topic. Dave, what do we got? We've got uh, Campy seems to be uh, taking away their thumb shifter with the next oh, generation of EPS. I'm sorry, Ronan. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, that's basically it. I mean, they're, they're basically it appears from, from a few leaked photos that the, the next generation will have um, two shift levers behind the brake lever. Um, okay, okay. A, I, can't, I, can't, I can't set this one out anymore. Paddle. I have to speak. Yeah. <laughs> this, this just looks... They've gone from like the best shifter setup, in my opinion, to what looks like. Now, admittedly, I obviously have not tried this, but this looks like it cannot work all that well. And the buttons are just so close together, like one above the other. Uh, admittedly, uh, supposedly the they're intended one to be used with the index finger and one to be used with another finger. But I don't know. I just envisage trying to use this on a cold winter's day with big gloves on and. Yeah, who knows what button you're going to hit when you go to hit one or the other. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm really not liking the look of it. Of course, I'll have to reserve judgment until I've tried it, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's also a prototype, right? So, like it could these things could change. Uh, but yeah, uh, going well, looking back in the We years, should explain where this came yeah. from real quick. Mm. So, like these are two different things. So, so the, the the wheel thing we were talking about earlier, that's sort of a formal launch that's happening in 2 days oh, yes. or a day. Or yes. And the second thing that I just brought up here is is a what a basically a prototype that has leaked, uh, and is therefore pure speculation. Mm. Yes, which so it could change dramatically between today and whenever this shows up. But we do sort of have confirmation that they're working on it. Mm. I, I will say the the rumors that I've heard um, from from some brands actually is that the new group set is expected imminently and. The fact that the, the this is not like some patent submitted uh, a drawing. This is actually we've seen. There's photos of levers here. Uh, it was it was Matt Brett over at Road CC who had who had or at least I had first seen mention this. And the the what we're seeing here is certainly much closer to what looks like a funniest article than we typically get with you know someone uncovering a patent or something. So um, I will say the rest of the lever. Looks incredibly sleek. They've really reduced the the sort of size at the you know above the the brake lever. Previously, the Campag sort of shifter was the, for the hydraulic uh, disc brakes was huge. This looks a lot sleeker. Overall, it looks great. Um, it's just missing that one key component, which was the thumb shifter. I, I think everybody's hopes were after eCar that they were going to move to a thumb shifter like that, which was easier for those who had trouble with reaching the thumb shifter. To reach from the drops, but and instead they've gone the other way and got completely rid of it. Right, and just to ensure that you never speak to me again, I I don't <laughs> love the ergonomics on Ecar. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't appreciate that thumb shifter. The 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 latest generation of the thumb shifter. Uh, I mean, like I I have never had a problem reaching the thumb shifter on a typical, yeah. uh, especially on the new super record. Or I don't have super record, but on the new record. Uh, 12 speed levers there's a slight little chamfer or, or aids to the thumb shifter which i found was just even uh, an improvement over what was already a, a good design so i personally mm-hmm. have never had a problem with the standard thumb shifter and i didn't like the e-car sh- thumb shifter ath- aesthetics all that much but i would have been happier with that than no yeah. shifter thumb shifter at all um, I guess it's it's worth noting that the other big big thing here that's been uncovered is that 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 these shifters have a battery port, so they're almost certainly. And this this rumor has been around for a few years now, but it's it's almost certain that that the next generation of EPS will be wireless in some regard, at least from the the shifters' point of view. Uh, but I guess going back to your point, Ronan, I think uh, 
the reduced bulk, a lot of that possibly is the result of getting rid of that thumb shifter, I'd imagine. Like that thumb shifter certainly does have to add something to to the internal workings of that product, right? You're yeah, you're you you probably had the nail on the head there, um, especially within the, the mechanical group set um, on on the EPS or or whatever. You know, Campag have famously said that the EPS twelve speed was the last EPS we would see. So, not sure if they're going back on that or if there is something new other than some new system that they're not going to call EPS coming. Um, but you would think on an electronic group set that the internals for the thumb shifter there would be much smaller, especially given that, uh, again, going by these this this prototype that's been uncovered, there are still buttons in that location for, like, uh, presumably for setting up the shifters and that. So um, there are still some electronics in there. Presumably that wouldn't be all that much more than a thumb shifter would require, which is, you know, the thumb shifter on EPS was basically just a, a trigger that pushed a, a, a button. Um but um, the other th- the other thing that has popped up is that the the, um, the the levers that we've seen they say on them EP twenty three S or D twelve XXX and we can take from that it's like EP twenty twenty three EPS whatever twenty twenty three something like that super record and then the twelve XXX either means it's going to be twelve speed or XXX in Roman numerals is thirty so it, it may well be thirty speed. Uh, that that's still to be confirmed, uh, so we're we're waiting to see what comes on that. <laughs> uh, another rumor that I heard, and again, I I don't know if there's any truth to this, but is that there's always been a lot of overlap between record and super record, right? So super records kind of has the red sticker to make you let you know that it's even more expensive. It had ceramic bearings, it had a few titanium bolts, but fundamentally and structurally, it was always pretty much record group set. Uh, the word I'm hearing is that they'll just be super record, no record, which to me makes perfect sense because it reduces that overlap. You sort of halve the number of products that a distributor has to stock and it removes complication in the market. Uh, and you can just sort of really focus on manufacturing the one product. Uh, Ronan, what do you, what do you think there? Um, I, I would be okay with that also. Um, I mean, like for a Campag fan like me, I, I don't think there's a real issue there. You can, uh, even, even though I went for record the last time, you know, you, you could justify to yourself the, the reason for going to super record. Don't forget the bits of trillium that you've got in there. You know, you've got um, extra bits of the levers removed and stuff like it, it is. Uh, and certainly for me, the, 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 the latest super record stuff just uh, looked a bit better than the record stuff. Um, so you can justify that. But, in terms of you know trying to win more market share in that having two confusing group set levels and even if you you know, go broader and and include chorus uh, it it just it it becomes quite confusing for someone who is maybe not in touch with campag as, as much as a a, a campag fan would be uh, and you know going back to ten speed there was only record uh, super record sort of disappeared much mm-hmm. before that or quite quite a while before that and then was reintroduced when campag were the first to move to 11 speed uh, some point after that shortly after that they they reintroduced a super record and retained record and that's sort of when that confusion started yes yeah yeah it's exciting there's yeah new wheels coming by the time you're listening to this uh off your favorite streaming service and New group sets coming at some point we don't know, but probably sooner than later it sounds like. So that that's that's exciting and and I'm I don't know uh, like I also like the thumb shifter. Uh, had record on a bike on my mosaic for for quite a while before it got stolen, uh, and I'm a little bit sad about that. But at the same time, you know, like I have quite large hands and long thumbs, and so I never had any issue. But I've also watched people just like trying to reach up and get that shifter, and it just you know, if you look at, at large swaths of, of the cycling public, it's probably not the best solution. So a bit of personal sadness, but probably the right call in the end, I would think. The Sorry to back into it, but the one other question that remains for me is just what this means for mechanical. Um, does it mean that there will be no upgrade to the mechanical group set and we stick with what we've got? Or does it mean that there is an upgrade coming for mechanical, which would surely have to retain the thumb shifter because this two button system on the new electronic 
yeah, that that's a whole lot more work and patent skirting to make that work uh, with with without a thumb shifter and mechanical. Yeah, I'd be surprised if we see the thumb shifter go away from mechanical offerings. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it's yeah. I mean, they've that the internals of the shifter would have to be reworked entirely, which just doesn't make sense to me given Ecar's the way it is and um, the way they've always done it. Uh, yeah, I just I can't imagine them going taking that extreme to to make their electronic and mechanical group sets align in that regard. I want to shift away from Super Record, almost as far as you can shift away from Super Record and, and still be in the uh, kind of endurance <laughs> cycling space. We have a Dirty Dirty Dave segment today. Uh, we also have a Dirty Dirty Dave theme tune, uh, which I'm going to play for you now. Dirty Dive, Dirty Dive, Dirty, Dirty, Dirty Dive. Dave, some new S-Work shoes that fit in Dirty Dirty Dave's well, who, segment. Who's, the, who's our new theme song from? Which one are we using? <laughs> Which one do you want to use? We have two. How about the second one? All right, deal. From, is it Klukas? Mm, I think so. How do you? Mike, is Mike in the audience? Can you tell us how to say your last name? I don't know if he is or not. We have uh, that theme tune courtesy of Mike Klukas, and I apologize if I'm saying your last name improperly. Uh, the CEO of Fullgas, which mm. I think is fantastic. Yep. <laughs> Thank you for making us a truly excellent Dirty Dirty Dave theme tune. Now, Dave. Mm. I wonder Dave, if, it'll, if it'll find uh, its way into Fullgas. I hope so. I yeah. sincerely hope so. Maybe it'll be. Tell me like about the these new. These. <laughs> All right, I'll let it, I'll let you move. Tell me on. about these. <laughs> I'm trying to move on here. Tell me about these new S Works Recon SLs and Adventure. Uh, these are these are some sort of love child of a uh, of a road shoe and a mountain bike shoe, basically. Yeah, it's uh, Specialized have, have updated uh, and renewed and released new shoes, uh, which are a very gravel orientated so it's it is an off-road shoe you could use it for mountain biking um, but it certainly looks more like it leans towards the the gravel side of things so there's a new s-works recon which is uh i guess in the simplest sense is uh takes the wider last that they they recently introduced with their road shoes uh and it's also incredibly light it's about 290 grams per shoe for a, a size 43 so that saves off the top of my head, it's like 80 grams less than like a Shimano's top tier carbon fiber off-road racing shoe. Uh, yeah, so they're very, very light. And uh, then on the there's the Recon Adventure ADV, uh, which is a lace-up shoe, which has a bit more um, flex in the sole and is designed for a bit more um, uh, giddy-up, I guess, in terms of wherever you go. Uh, so yeah, it could be used a bit as a touring shoe, a bikepacking shoe, it could be just general gravel riding it looks like it's probably a bit more walkable it is worth noting that i haven't used either of these shoes um but yeah for for what's most intriguing to me is that the new s-work shoe actually has replaceable tread Haley. well no continue talking about replaceable tread i have i have a comment on the shims thing that we're gonna get to yeah so so the replaceable tread is very uh city-ish i haven't seen an off-road shoe do this uh yeah, as far as I'm aware, no no off road shoe has really offered replaceable tread since uh, City have done it, uh, and it's I think it's a pretty cool trend because you can make the treads a little less durable, uh, knowing that you can then replace them. Uh, and by less durable, I mean grippier, uh, which is often something lacking in these sort of high end carbon uh, gravel focus race shoes. They can be a bit slippery once you walk in on wet rock or or over uh, any sort of wet terrain. Yeah. That's one of the ways that they drop a lot of the weight off these things too, is they use they use like a TPU instead of a rubber, right? And so mm-hmm. that shaves a huge amount of weight off of them, but yeah. it also makes it so you can't stand yeah. up on rocks, for yeah. example. Yeah. They also keep the sole very exposed on that S Work show, which has also helped save the weight. So yeah, there's not a lot of uh traction in, in between the the heel, the 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 tread at the heel and the the tread that surrounds the cleat. Uh, there's also no like no uh, provisions for toe spikes is another way they saved weight out of the shoe. Uh, but yeah, overall, I think more relaxed fit will be quite nice to a lot of people. 
Um, but for me, yeah, the, the replaceable tread also introduces a new feature, which is it basically lets you adjust the stack height of the tread surrounding the cleat. And why that's important is road pedal systems don't require any surrounding tread or any interface with the shoe to, to work the way that they're designed to work. But mountain bike pedals, uh, SPD included, uh, Crank Brothers, Egg Beaters, Time, they all change feel based on the tread that surrounds the cleat. And in many cases, they change the amount of stability you get. So that's something that specializes latest gravel shoes in recent years. And say Shimano's RX-8 gravel shoe has done better than a lot of other mountain bike shoes in that they've actually stabilized the cleat. So there's no longer any um, what I'd call toggle where you sort of, uh, I'll use my hands here so everyone listening can understand, um, where the shoe actually rocks side to side on the pedal. Um, so and that's what very you get with your membership. Yeah, that's very different to floats. Dave so Rome wiggles hands. So floats your angle, like if you can imagine your heel sweeping left to right. Toggle is the unwanted movement of the shoe actually rocking side to side. Uh, and yeah, the getting the tread height right can can make your mountain bike pedal feel almost efficient as efficient as a road pedal. Hey, well, and the bigger thing for me is you've got a note in here about about. You essentially shim them for like leg leg discrepancies yeah. and things like that, which has always been a huge pain in the butt with with SPDs. And mm-hmm. like I I have shims under my left cleat on my road bike, yeah. uh, and my bike feels really weird if I take those out. But I, I'd never really bothered to do it on my mountain bike. One because you kind of move around more on a mountain bike, and I think mm-hmm. that, that you know the millimeter here or there is is a lot less important than I'm just sitting in a road saddle. But it would be nice to be able to essentially prop my left leg up by you know for me it's only it's it's a millimeter or two yeah uh but if you've got that sort of leg length issue like i have it's it's a it's a big deal and there's not a whole there there are some ways to do it but there's not a whole lot of really good options out there for for shimming like that yeah as a junior i had uh shims in my in my cleats as well and the the answer to make the mountain bike match the road bike. I ended up using Shugu on the mountain bike tread to 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 build up the tread, and I'd have to replace it every couple of weeks. Uh, I've heard of other people basically having custom treads made and and um, epoxied on. Uh, I've even heard of specialized in the past going to the efforts of some of their sponsored riders of actually um, putting uh, thickness plates inside of the sole between the sole and the upper to to build custom shoes for some of their athletes. So this is. This is not a new issue, um, but it's it's cool to see a very accessible answer. So in this case, the the tread is removed from the inside of the shoe. There's there's going to be some Phillips heads that sit sort of um, directly inside the shoe. So you have to undo the bowers, take it, take the inner sole out, and you can access these. Uh, and Specialized will be offering uh, one millimeter shim kits. The shoes basically come with these to adjust the the feel of the pedals. But then there's this like leg length discrepancy kits, which come in the, I think it's like three, five, and nine millimeters. Uh, hang on. What did I, what are the exact numbers? Three, six, and One, nine. One, three, millimeters. six, and nine. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> those are pretty big differences. And apparently, yeah, those, those kits will even come with like the shim to go underneath the cleat. So yeah, this, this seems like a, could be a really good shoe for um, people really into their bike fit people with leg length discrepancies and and also for bike fitters as well i mean this this answers a lot of problems i don't i don't do i like it i don't do a lot of off-road but certainly the toggle is uh, i've just learned that it's called toggle uh, but certainly that's (laughs) something that i really did not enjoy uh when i did you know go off-road just to clarify there the 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 shims you're talking about here do they go onto the tread or onto the cleat both. Is it like so the okay. they yeah. So if you raise the whatever you raise the cleat up by, you then need to raise the tread up by the same amount. Um, so yeah, the my understanding is that they'll be offering kits that come with both of those shims. Um, yeah. So yeah, shims that go underneath the tread blocks and shims that go underneath the cleat. I really like the sound of that. Yeah. Kudos, specialized. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, you will need to our a, other. Ooh. Unfortunately, you will need to pay for S Works shoes. <laughs> Uh, in order to get this feature, <laughs> I, I think is probably the one thing worth mentioning. But uh, yeah, yeah, which is what? What does set you back five hundred bucks these days? Mm. US, I think it's something about like that. that. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a Premium pricey shoe. Yeah. 
we got a couple more news items to hit before we get into what's on our minds and a PSA and our Q&A at the end. So, sweet protection. Ronan, we haven't actually touched on this yet. Uh, other than when it came out and it was used in a bike race, I thought it was horrifically ugly. And I, so I sent a tweet out that... <laughs> People retweeted a lot. Uh, for, but for that's me, that, basically that, our only... That might have been what they were talking about. Was that tweet mentioned? Uh, <laughs> like, it wasn't specifically yours, uh, but the the kickback, let's say, to the helmet was mentioned in the in the press launch that I virtually attended last week. Uh, this news, of course, came out uh, just before we recorded last week, and we didn't really get time to t- touch on it. Uh, and we have previously covered it on the Placeholders podcast when it first came out. Uh, and the other thing that uh, one of the Sweet Protection uh, staff mentioned to me was, again, they didn't specifically mention your 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 negative comments, Gilly, but they, they mentioned negative comments in general. Uh, but they did specifically yeah. mention that uh, the Placeholders podcast discussion had sort of hit the nail on the head when we were... Uh, sort of speculating as to what this helmet design was trying to achieve. And, and basically what Sweet Design confirmed last week was that they set about developing a time trial helmet that would minimize local drag on the helmet, uh, sort of integrates well onto the rider's back with the sort of downwash effect off the helmet uh, and also integrate with the shoulders, uh, which is kind of what you want from time trial helmets anyway, nothing groundbreaking there. Uh, but of course, what is groundbreaking about this one is just how wide it is. Uh, and there's sort of a double point behind that. And that quite a lot of the speculation previously was that the hole in the front of the helmet was a vent, but it is actually, it's the technical term they use for that. I, I can't remember what the technical term that they use, laminar flow duct or something to that effect. But basically there so, is no vent, no cooling effect, nothing from that hole in the front of the helmet. What they've effectively done there is put a smaller helmet inside a bigger helmet, which you'll be delighted to hear, Kaylee. Um, and, and that, <laughs> that duct on the front has a sort of slight peak on it, which will, will channel the airflow around either side of the helmet. Uh, the inlet on either side of the duct is also, um, sort of designed to specifically channel air into that, into the, into the duct. And what, what happens there is that channel, uh, that that feeds around from from the duct, sort of accelerates the airflow uh, into a vent at the rear of the helmet, which then sort of shoots that accelerated airflow out onto the airflow that's coming around the outside of the helmet to both reduce the high pressure points on the front of the shoulder, but also integrate with the the bit of thrust that you supposedly get uh, as as the airflow goes around your shoulders. So it's sort of a sweet protections way of uh, not only integrating the shoulders and getting rid of that sort of draggy area that you've got there, but also actually harnessing the bit of thrust that you naturally develop as airflow sort of comes around your, your shoulders. And that accelerated airflow that you're getting from the duct that's traveling through the helmet meets the, the airflow on the outside and, and the two of them can disappear nicely into the ether off the back of your shoulders. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're delighted to hear all this, Kayleigh, and I'm going uh, into great detail because no, no, I, I know how interested you are in hearing all this. No, I, I actually, I, that's pretty cool, genuinely. Like, I, I, you know, somebody who's, this is kind of a rethink a little bit of, of helmets, and, and we mentioned in, in Placeholder, I think, that you had heard that this is one of the sort of already clearly one of the sort of smartest designs out there and you have to appreciate that for for what it is right i mean my tweet was something along the lines of i don't i don't think i like aerodynamics anymore uh and that was mostly because i feel like i feel like for a very long time when aerodynamics is mostly just like the eye test it kind of just made stuff look cool and now that it's not the eye test anymore and it's and it's like wind tunnels and cfd and all the rest uh it makes things look terrible <laughs> in general and in helmets in particular for the last for the last year or so uh some of the more egregious are, are things mm. like ineos wearing helmets that are 27 sizes too big just to cover up their shoulders uh this yeah. latest from sweet protection uh, and so you know for, for somebody who appreciates the aesthetic side of of professional road cycling that it's not my favorite thing in the world, but I, you cannot, you cannot 
dislike sort of like that level of attention to detail from an aerodynamic and design perspective. I think you have to appreciate that regardless, even if the even if the looks are not amazing. And I'll probably come around to looks anyway. I mean, that that's what happens with helmets all the time, regardless, is what looks terrible today will look fine a year from now. I think the UCI should implement a rule that if uh, if it looks anything like uh, a a costume from a satirical sci-fi film, then it's it's out. <laughs> um, it just, uh, yeah, it would solve a lot of problems. To be honest, you, mm. you are right. Like sitting in on the on the presentation last week, it it was clear just how how much focus there was put into developing a helmet that actually. I was going to say made sense, uh, but at least to an aerodynamicist, it would it would make a lot of sense. Uh, to the rest of us, we have to it be. It solves explained. the problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, right, it solves and, the problem of us having shoulders. Yes, that's a problem that has, you know, been a, been a problem for aerodynamicists for forever. The one thing, or not the one thing, but I did, I did sort of. There was a a Q and A. You could submit questions. Um, quite a lot of my questions didn't get answered uh, live for some reason, um, but I did get an email back answering most of my questions, um, specifically around how critical it was to rider position and sweep protection. Were sort of saying, well, you know, we've designed this with a lot of riders in mind. It was tested on two different riders of you know varying sizes uh, to ensure that. But I'm still I still reckon this if you haven't if you've if your head sits above your torso in a time drop position I reckon this is going to be pretty slow but again that's just me using my eyeballs that could be entirely wrong on that the other thing I was curious about was just whether that accelerated airflow would actually work at the speeds that we achieve on a push bicycle uh, again they they pretty much said well we've tested it and we wouldn't have used it if it didn't work please go away <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I'm going to take their word on that one. Um, I asked them if, if you know, having zero cooling effect uh, just you know flows totally against the grain of everything we've been hearing recently about thermal regulation, how important uh, maintaining core temperature is. And they said that the helmet was so fast it was worth the offset there. And lastly, Katie, you'll be delighted to hear. I asked them if they tested it with. Um, I'm not sure why I asked this question, but I did ask them if they have tested the helmet with either a balaclava or a head sock of some sort under it. Um, they thought that wasn't really relevant. So, <laughs> Good. Um, going back to one of the points you made there, Ronan, uh, you mentioned that they tested it on two riders. Yes, uh, Soren Farmer on the 23 World Time Trial Champion. Uh, his surname I'm not, I'm, no not Soren Craig Anderson uh, Soren rides for Uno X I'm, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his surname and uh, Joss Lowden also the uh, former women's R record holder so uh, um, you know two two riders who are admittedly pretty fast and have pretty fast time trial positions anyhow uh, I'm I mean I'm not a scientist but uh, two doesn't sound like a large sample <laughs> size <laughs> It's <laughs> kind of what I thought, um, uh, and it it did strike me a little bit like you know, Specialized took Remco Evenepoel to the wind tunnel to develop the new headsock helmet, and I'm like, hmm, there's a helmet that works perfectly for Remco. Does it work for the rest oh. of us? And and I got sort of similar uh, vibes from from the sweet protection one as well. And that again, it kind of was saying that it's going to be very position critical. I think uh, it is available in two sizes. Uh, extra extra large small or extra extra large large extra large um which is basically just two ways of saying you can either have a a small very large one or a large very large one um (laughs) and also handy to remember it's both ways and costs 450 so 450 grams and 450 euros Hmm. uh slight tangent on this topic um Mm -hmm. Do we have you seen any anyone doing custom 3D printed style aero helmets that are tuned to a rider's position? And if not, uh, is that the future? I'm I'm pretty certain Sweet Protection like did 3D printed prototypes uh, in the development of this helmet. Uh, don't know of anybody who's actually made a functional 3D printed, you know, safety standard passing helmet for use on the road. Uh, could be wrong enough, but I haven't heard of it. Not not the time like There is a three D printed helmet. I'm pretty sure there is a three D printed helmet. But there is. It's, yeah, it's a road yeah, helmet. It's out yeah. of California. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I feel like getting that past CPSC and the Euro regulators would be tricky because if it's going to change, mm. if every single one's going to be different, well, how I'd, on earth do they test that and make sure that it passes those those? Seems to me that it wouldn't be all that different from the issues. sweet protection one, and that the sweet protection helmet is effectively, as all time trial helmets are, a fairing over the top of a helmet. Uh, so if the internal helmet remained the same. Um, and then the fairing part on the on the external structure changed, uh, or the tail of it changed. Perhaps that would that could pass. I'm I'm not sure. Perhaps you would have to get every single helmet past the the test. I don't know. Is there some test that evaluates how the tail of the helmet, you know, uh, works in a crash and and how that if you know, could potentially affect injuries? I, I don't think the testing goes that far. So, yeah, to know, good question. I'm going to move us on because I want to make sure that we have time for our Q&A at the end of today's episode with our live audience. So we're going to move to On Your Mind and Over the Head of Your Family. Uh, Dave Rome, yours is uh, predictable this week. Is it? Why is it predictable? Yeah, because it's you. It's me. Uh, it is tool related. Um, <laughs> centering of stems is is what's been on my mind. <laughs> Uh, as it is, as it is for, I, I believe everyone, this crosses their mind on a daily basis, but, uh, for me, I have always struggled with, uh, stem centering. I have a, a large amount of self doubt when it comes to getting handlebars centered and I'm forever questioning my ability in, in this regard, uh, with mountain bikes, it's actually very easy. You can, um, peer over the top of the handlebar and align it to the fork crown which is almost always symmetrical uh and then you can look on the back side of the handlebar and align that to the fork crown and then that's your your handlebar centering for road bikes i find it a lot trickier and uh it's only gotten worse now that we've got all these sort of integrated curvy aero handlebars that don't often give you a real great um reference point to get your alignment from uh and that's kind of led me down this rabbit hole of trying to figure out what uh what stem alignment tools best and um i'm sad to say but they they're all terrible um so yeah there's there's a few that use lasers that mount off your handlebar tune were the first to do this super b then copied them and then there's a another company that's recently come out which is a bit different again called we create with an with an actual eight um because why not uh and it's called the stay straight uh, and that one actually clips onto the front of the handlebar. Um, but yeah, basically the the tune and the Super B need round circles. Uh, they need a round handlebar and a, a round stem with no accessories fitted at all. Uh, like no out in front computer mount, no stem mount, no light brackets. Uh, and you need a decent length stem. And then you can get your stem aligned. Uh, the We Create Stay Straight uh, needs to clip onto the front of a handlebar. Um, every handlebar I've tried it on that isn't round, it doesn't stay on and it won't work on. So that is a fail. Uh, and then we we get into some other crazy ideas, which uh, are designed more in the mountain bike space. So Lowell Bikes, uh, this is kind of a, a pretty cool company out of Canada who make a drivetrain that fits into the rear of the bike. So they've uh, the first bike on the market with this is uh, is Nikolai, uh, and it's it's like a it's it's called the Super Drive is what they make, and it's um yeah it it fits within the chainstay and seat stay of the bike with a with a derailleur built in. Uh, very cool idea, but they've also created a. Uh, a little device that mounts to your fork and then you use a derailleur hanger tool off that that then lets you use the derailleur hanger gauge off the handlebars to align everything. Very clever, um, but as I found out, uh, most road forks are not symmetrical to allow you to do this. So that as well doesn't work. Uh, and then there's another one. There's... Uh, DNR designs, um, they have one that bolts the handlebar and then it basically gives like this plastic square to go off the fork legs. Again, same issue. Road forks are, are increasingly not symmetrical. Uh, it will work with the mountain bike forks, but um, then we're back to square one where it's it's actually quite easy to align a mountain bike fork by eye. So yeah, that's what's on my mind and over the head of my family is uh, a ridiculous number of tools that don't do what I want them to do. <laughs> Just 
playing devil's advocate here. What if you just stood over your bike and, and made your handlebars straight? Oh, yeah, sure. Like everyone can do that. <laughs> just saying. And, and if it's if it's close enough that you can't actually tell that they're not straight, then you can't tell. And so therefore. No, I would tell, say if you, you can't tell, then how do you know? This is where we differ, Dave. Yeah. Uh, Ronan, where, <laughs> what is what is on your mind and over the head of your family this week? Uh, I was just frantically trying to remember there. Uh, and I, I believe... You see, I should ban tire sponsors. That's yeah. what you've written down. Yeah. Um, and the reason this is on my mind is for an article I'm working on for a, a soon-to-be launched website, soon-to-be live website, soon, coming soon website. Um, like really soon. Like maybe by the time you listen to this, there might be a website. Yes, yeah. th- this article will not be there by the time you listen to this, unless you're listening to it very, very late. Um, but certainly the website will be there if you're listening to this uh, within the next few days. So, um, And I don't really want to get into that article because that is that is a deep, deep dive. Um, but one of the things that has come out of it uh, is the idea that maybe... Basically, I'm, I'm, I'm part of this involves looking at how the UCI regulate uh, certain things within, uh, you know, racing, uh, road competition especially, and how often those regulate regulations then sort of backfire where somebody tries to find a loophole or, you know, the UCI will ban 35, anything lower than, narrower than a 35 centimeter handlebar. So half the kids turn out levers and words and then nobody likes that and just a fallout from those sorts of things. And one of the questions that I stumbled on was the idea that instead of regulating things, what if we actually just intervened with what the teams could be sponsored? Uh, and, and one of the specific things that I landed on was, well, first of all, there is the, there's the idea that we could uh, ban any brand sponsoring a team aero helmets. Uh, and I'll get into why that might be a good idea in a second. And the other one I came up with was, should we ban tire sponsors? Um, and the idea behind that, that's why I was frantically trying to remember there, is I can't quite remember exactly what my thinking was behind that right now. <laughs> it's deep within all these notes. Um, but the one of the upsides was... Um, um, basically we were talking, I, I was, I was talking to Xavier Dizzley from AeroCoach earlier today, uh, and we were sort of, sort of talking about how much more exciting racing would be if you give uh, every, uh, give the best ascenders 50% extra grip, uh, and how much extra racing that would force on the claims to get rid of these guys who can descend so well, uh, how much ex- more exciting it would make the sense if you knew Tom Pidcock had an extra 30% grip. Uh, and he was about to tear into the descent, you might want to do something about that before he did, uh, or you might not want to try to follow him. Uh, and, and you know, obviously that would be impossible because that would have safety implications. But if you decided that teams couldn't have tire sponsors, not only would that, uh, it would sort of separate the wheat from the chaff, let's say, and that you would immediately have all the teams test well, if we're going to buy tires, we're going to buy the best tires available, the fastest tires available. And so you would have teams testing that and you would very quickly be able to see what are the fastest tires available, what are the best tires available. You would also have the knock-on effect, I believe, where wouldn't tire brands all be, I'm not saying they ha- they're not already doing their best, but wouldn't they all be given the kick up the backside to make sure that their tires were the absolute best uh if they couldn't sponsor them they couldn't force teams to run them they just had to like sell them to the teams the same way they sell them to us uh and you know if you're looking for an example of how this works uh trek segafredo and francis de ju grubama fdj whatever they're called these days both those teams have a helmet sponsor who doesn't have a time trial helmet and as such we're seeing those teams this year just go out and test what is the fastest helmet for our riders in time trial position? And as a result, you're seeing at least with Trek, five of their seven riders at, at Pyrenees wore different time trial helmets. Um, and, you know, that that's not you, what you're getting then is you're not getting, uh, you know, all the FDGA riders forced to ride zero helmets. You're getting all the FDGA riders riding the helmet that is fastest for them, which I think is interesting. Uh, the tire thing is a bit F1 vibes. Like it, it, it's, I mean, you know, there's a there's a one there's one tire sponsor they provide all the tires. You get a couple different 
versions of it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of works well over there. And it's also, I mean, from an F1 perspective, they sell that, right? The, the Well, and, and F1 uh, has had if, some if, terrible stories come from tire wars in the past. Uh, races mm-hmm. not canceled that should have been canceled and all sorts of things happening in the past. Uh, and also, yeah, forcing one sponsor seems a bit, you know, that, that doesn't... That doesn't seem to fit too well either. Like if you can only use one brand of tires within road racing, and and all the other brands are just excluded, you know, it it, it works in F one, but that's you know different story altogether. Mm. Um, so yeah, I always come back to kind of un- unintended consequences of some of this stuff, and I think a good example of that is was the hour record. So when when the hour record was under Merck's bike rules, right, it basically just lay dormant for. Very, very long time. One, because a major reason for that was that the the bike brands couldn't actually get behind it, right? Like they couldn't do anything interesting to help push this along. There wasn't a whole lot of incentive. If the the athlete wasn't really into it, there wasn't really any incentive around the athlete to push for a new hour record. The second we basically switched to whatever the track rules that they are now, then all of a sudden we got this flood of hour records, you know, from Jens Voigt on, right? And I think that, some of those ideas you you might end up with similar kind of negative repercussions from a, from an industry perspective right the industry you want you want the industry to be incentivized to develop cool stuff uh and to and to you know fund racing and things like that and i i wonder if some of those ideas would be counterproductive on that front yeah the the, the entire article i'm working on is 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 never going to going to happen um but sort of um, yeah i've lost my train of thought now i got a message popped up on the screen and just entirely <laughs> lost my my train of thought there so i'm going to throw to dave room he had something Switch to say to <laughs> i was just going to say ronan what you're suggesting here sounds a lot like what actually happens in in downhill world cup mountain biking where the vast majority of riders whether sponsored or not just end up using maxis minions or Yes. or similar Maxxis tires um, because they've deemed it to be the best. And for whatever reason, their their tire sponsors have been traditionally incapable of producing a tire that's as good. So the teams end up just buying those tires and then using the the magic black Sharpie to to make them uh, sponsor neutral. Uh, that did change in the last, I think it was last year, Continental actually invested huge amounts of money in, in tire development and have come up with a tire that... Uh, has has drawn people away from just wanting Maxis. Now people are are putting Sharpies onto Continentals as well. But um, the, the y- same thing was happening in road racing with Contis actually for a mm, long time. Yeah. Where riders, in particular, if it was a rainy stage, they would grab. This is more in the tubular era, mm-hmm. but riders would actually grab like they have Continental tires sitting around, regardless of of the sponsor. I mean, I, I can't I can't even tell you how many times I was walking the pits at the Tour de France on a rainy morning and you'd see a lot more Contis around. This is seven, eight years ago now. You'd see more Contis around than you'd see in a, in a standard road stage. Uh, and I would I would argue you still see that today. Uh, a lot of Conti logos sharpied out. But uh, I remember my point, so before I forget it again, I was just going to say, you, you mentioned, you know, unintended consequences and incentivizing the, the brands. But, you know, you could argue that the current model doesn't incentivize brands either if they can just pay their way and in, into teams and you know especially with time trial helmets um which nobody cares about but myself and a few others but there, there's no um motivation for brands to develop time trial helmets there if the, if the writers are, are forced to wear them um but uh I, I will actually give away exactly what the article is about it's it's kind of looking into just to try to make a bit more sense of this for the listeners and that they don't think I'm entirely mad, but looking into what would happen if the entire World Tour Peloton was forced to ride spec or standardized equipment so everybody was on the exact same equipment. Um, and I will say at first I hated the idea of this, but the more I thought about it, it's absolutely fascinating subject. and I can't wait to write it up. <laughs> I look forward to that story. I don't think it'll be right when we launch like you said uh i don't i was wondering whether we should talk about the other thing that you're currently working on that will potentially be teased mm. when we launch the website uh if anybody follows ronan on instagram you saw him uh building the antenna for our website uh <laughs> recently <laughs> there's a this real inside joke there uh no you 
I'm, I'm going to leave that. We're going to talk about that next week. I think once the there's a piece that's going to come out right when we launch the site that is very, I don't know, it's open ended. It's essentially it's it's half question, half story. Right. Uh, and so I think that's worth discussing once everyone's had a chance to read it. And maybe I, I would imagine we'll have some interesting Q&A questions on that subject next week. As we might well, have an interesting uh, lynching where everybody just like piles on me and just like, you idiots. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not yeah uh we keep mentioning this website but we're so great oh, at yeah. self-promotion that i don't think we've mentioned our company name once this episode <laughs> uh escape collective.cc that will still be the website when we launch it it just won't look the same as it currently does which right now it's still in launch mode uh and you know got got the founders wall got all these things and and soon it will be a real website with like stories on it and stuff like that uh sometime in the next 36 hours or so from when we're recording uh as a reminder if you do want to get on that founders wall and if you want to be able to join us in these discord chats uh yeah sign up and you can head over to escapecollective.cc to do so that founders wall we are going to sort of we're going to shut that off i think around the end of this month and anybody who is not uh, signed up by that point, then, well, then you're just a regular old member as opposed to a founding member. So, yeah, get your butt over there and and sign up if you haven't already. If you listen to this podcast on a regular basis, I know we say this all the time. If you listen to this podcast on a regular basis, think about all the hours we have spent with you and you have spent with us uh, and consider how much that might be worth. <laughs> it's, it's uh, yeah, it's it's not a lot when you start to do the math. So. Head on over. All right. I want to get to our Q&A here. So as a reminder to everybody out there in podcast land, we have we have quite a, quite a lot of people in our private members-only Discord. They are hanging out with us as we make this podcast. They're getting some of the stuff that you are missing because bits of this will get edited out, no question. And at the end, we want to offer a bit of a Q&A sesh. So... Let's see if we can remember how to do this. <laughs> so, yeah, hit that little button down at the bottom if you would like to ask a question. Hi, guys. This is Leland. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can. What's your question? Okay, so this this rumor was more recent, but can't be. <clears throat> there is apparently a rumor, thanks to a leaked shop listing, that uh, Campy's going SRAM style gearing. So, fifty thirty four will be the largest chainring setup. Uh, 4529 will be the smallest, and they're going like 10, 1025, 1027, 1029 cassettes. What are your guys' thoughts? Dave, I know you got thoughts on this one. <laughs> I'm sad by this news. I, I hadn't seen this. It's not entirely surprising when you look at Ika with the, the starting with the nine tooth cog and the way they've done that new freehub body that allows that. Uh, I'm not entirely surprised that they've done this, but, uh, I'm saddened by it because I still much prefer uh, a slightly larger, let's say, 11th tooth cog. Just having seen the data on that, uh, it's for me, that's that remains the better option if you're looking at a truly road dedicated group set. But, Ronan? Uh, I think if, for me, it will depend on exactly what the, the chain ring options are. Um, I think, Dave, you and I were having. I was going to say we were having the discussion, but I asked you a question over the weekend and you replied to me in a, in a different time zone at a different time of the day. And then I never replied to you. Um, but, uh, basically there, there's a lot of talk about, you know, obviously SRAM have a similar setup and small chain rings and a tiny cog. And there's a lot of talk about the extra drag and all on that. Uh, and there are ways around that. So long as I, I believe so long as you avoid the tent tooth cog that that to me is is the issue so i would be saddened by it also um it wouldn't be a huge deal if the same sort of workarounds were available um but ideally you would prefer that the current uh super record you know 5339 and the 1129 1132 combinations are compatible with whatever they're working on so that you you've basically for riders who want the smaller chain rings, you've got that option. For riders who want bigger chain rings, you've got the current existing option that will be, you know, future forward compatible. Um, and then hopefully the eleven cogs will also be compatible. But like, it's the first I've heard of it. Also, 
good rumor. It's this. It's this split between the. It's the split between the amateur and the professional, right? Or, or, mm. or you know, this acknowledgement of the fact that ninety-five percent of people out there, a fifty is plenty, right? And and a fifty lines you up really nicely for the cogs you're going to use most often in the back with really good chain line and all the rest. I think that it kind of breaks down when you get into. I shouldn't even say professional. Just like anybody who races or rides in a fast pack. A fifty is not enough. And anybody right? like who I, I wrote, really cares about you know any what weenies or you know those who are yeah. overly sort of concerned about how their how efficient their drivetrain is, um, because certainly uh, with a few builds on my mind for non-performance bikes, it, it's it's just a non-issue for me. Then uh, for me personally, I, you know the the drivetrain efficiency thing doesn't even come into it. Um, but it, once you get into the sort of performance aspect of it then it certainly it is, it is an issue then yep i mean they'll probably just offer 54s like sram does or 55s like they do for their professional teams right i would imagine that's probably the solution cool awesome question and thanks for putting that uh that rumor on our radar who else has a question all right lucky hs introduce yourself and what's your question uh, hi from Melbourne, Australia. Uh, good to be on the pod. And um, my question is, I recently had to fix a set of bowler dials and uh, you know, they, under their lifetime I guarantee they send you a packet to fix. And I found I had the most useful thing that was a bit unexpected. I had some uh, medical like artery clamp pliers. They looked like scissors with an awesome long bendy ply a bit absolutely fantastic useful so my question is it's a tool question what unexpected non-bike tool tool do you absolutely find you can't live you couldn't live without it's probably for for for, for dave but you know, it could be for everyone um i found that was an absolute essential you got bowler dials get yourself one, one of these the ikea formula is really is really my <laughs> really my jam uh, no. dave this one's you uh <laughs> So yeah, I'd say the one for me is uh, alligator forceps. So they're also, uh, I guess, from the medical world, they're also very popular in uh, the crafting world. So like making ships in bottles. Not that I've ever done one, but I think that's that's a popular tool for that. Uh, but yeah, it's basically a a tool to go places you couldn't reach with the finger. Is is probably how I'd um, I'd imagine a surgeon would describe it uh it's it's a yeah you get them in various lengths but basically you've got the handle and then there's an extended piece of uh an extended rod and then uh that basically opens and closes a tiny little jaw on the opposite end uh so for me the one i use the most is uh, i think it's a 30 centimeter model or 12 inch in length and it's it's incredibly thin so it's it's probably no more than eight to ten millimeters in diameter and at its widest and that means you can actually get it uh, inside cable ports you can get it down inside seat tubes to pull um pull through dropper cables you can yeah really use it to to help with um really painful and annoying internal cable routing issues where things get stuck on the internal walls of frames you can basically get it inside the frame and and um it has enough enough strength to grab a hold of housing or brake hoses or inner cables and then you can pull that stuff through so uh yeah that's that's probably it for me uh i can't there are definitely other tools from outside of cycling that i I do use but that's that's probably the one that if it if it were to break i'd i'd shed a tear and then quickly go buy another ronnie do you have anything yeah i'm I'm not going to try and match dave on on tools but i will say um two things i got last year which were uh, I, i definitely got a strange look when they arrived into the house one was turbulator tape used for model aeroplanes uh which is basically sort of you can you can basically just put trip strips wherever you want uh so i had a lot of fun playing with that stuff uh the <laughs> other one um I'm a little bit nervous using its actual name but i will give it its actual name um it's boob tape um and it's transparent tape uh that um that i have no use for uh, other than applying it to the front of my shins alongside the turbulator tape to make uh, invisible calf guards so that I get the arrow gains without looking like a triathlete. So those two <laughs> things combined. Hollywood tape. Oh, okay. Yes. There we go. 
That's a, that's that's uh, Good question. I remember that name. That's probably slightly more. Uh, yes, yeah, we can use that on the podcast a bit easier. Good stuff. Thank you. Uh, what else? Who else is out there? Yeah, we actually we got another question in from somebody who's not in our studio audience today. Not sure John here is a is a member or not. Don't know, but it's a great question. So the question is, uh, it says, I normally run my gravel bike one by. I'm taking on a vacation with two sets of tires. I need both tall and small chain rings. I don't want to set up a front derailleur, buy two by chain rings, run the lines, etc. He also has the Explore rear derailleur, which is one by only. So can John mount the big and little one by chain rings next to each other? And just move the chain manually, so that it would be a two by one by system. Uh, chain length seems to be the big issue on either end, so I lose thirty four eleven twelve as well as fifty two forty six. Thoughts on this one, Ronan and Dave? I have. I think some there's thoughts. a there's a couple issues. Chain line is going to be probably an issue. Mm-hmm. But yeah, potentially the chain touching the other chain ring is going to be an issue. Yes. What do you guys see? Uh, I think there's there's too many issues with trying to mount uh, two chain rings next to each other for use in a one-by application. Kaylee just mentioned most of those issues. Uh, but the main issue is that you would need to, for proper one-by usage and for chain retention, you need to be using narrow wide chain rings. Uh, and as far as I can think of, I, I don't think your current crank set would actually allow you to mount two of those sandwiched around them like most of the one by shram cranks are really designed just to have a single chain ring on them so i think physically mounting them is going to be an issue in addition to the chain line issues and the fact that in extreme gears you'll probably end up catching the edge of say the big chain ring when you're in the little chain ring uh so my advice on this is to if you're going to go to the effort of uh changing tires you can also change your chain and your chain ring uh, so just take an extra chain that's already cut to the right length for the second chain ring and ideally swap out the chain ring unless you're using some kind of uh, the one-piece spider, which is very annoying to use because you have to take your crank off. Uh, yeah, if you've got like a, a four-bolt style chain ring, it's, it's really not hard. You can change that chain ring with a multi-tool. You can change the chain without any real special tools. You might just need a, a very small uh, chain link plier and away you go. So there you go. There's a potential solution. We we just had another another question show up in our in our live chat here. Jeff, uh, your last question of the day. What do you got for us? Um, this is actually really weird. I have no idea what you guys look like, so it's actually really neat to see you guys doing this. Um, thanks for having me. Um, I'm from Ottawa in Canada. On my gravel bike, it's SRAM Rival. Um, really simple question. I want to buy a quick link, and my bike shop says that the Eagle. 12 speed link works on my road 12 speed SRAM chain. Is that true? Not really. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, it, it, it might work, but it's certainly not recommended. Uh, yeah, it's certainly, SRAM definitely wouldn't recommend that. Uh, and it, it's probably going to cause compromise shifting. I think from a structural point of view, it would work, but, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a different shape to the, to the flat top chain link. So, I would I would say um yeah that's that's the one the flat top chain link is probably the one chain link I don't mix and match I just I really do stick with the SRAM one for that one. All right. Great. Thanks guys. On a on a similar note to both of those questions uh I got sent a question asking how do we reuse non-reusable quick links? Um my answer is I reuse non-reusable quick links but I'm interested to hear Dave's answer. <laughs> um I do it's it's something I've written about before, and uh, official advice from the the brands, and they have their reasoning for this is do not you reuse our quick links from say ten speed and up. So nine speed, eight speed links were reusable. Uh, the newer stuff, the narrow stuff, really is designed to be a, a one way fit, and when you undo it, you basically you structurally weaken the link. Uh, and they definitely have their reasons for advising against reuse because I, I believe it sort of can micro fracture the material uh that said i ignore their advice and i do reuse them uh but i'll only reuse them up to the point that the link no longer makes a, a positive snap when you put it back together 
So if once that becomes soft and you you no longer need a lot of force from the tools, then then I'd stop using them. And for a lot of these newer links, that's really only one or two reuses before that happens for me. Um, yeah, I, I don't push them too much because at some point you are running on a, a weakened link that that can unfortunately hop itself loose if you if you were to get the chain in the wrong position and you know do a, a micro little backpedal or something like that at the wrong time. It, it, in theory, you could lose your chain. So yeah, um, I prefer to play it a little on the safe side, but not as safe as the brands would like me to. I I would say when. When I had a trade account and I got these significantly cheaper, I played it exactly as the brands would suggest. Now that I pay for these things, I play it safe, <laughs> but not as safe. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. I pull my chain off every time I travel with my travel leg. And uh, yeah, I should probably <laughs> go buy some more of those actually before we head to the <laughs> classics. Do, it's a good, do, it's a good reminder. do me a big favor there and just put a bag of quick links into your, your travel bag because I know you do not open that bag between travels. So I yeah. I do not want to be picking you I, off the I can see. Yeah, I can see Eugene in uh, in the audience, and and I'm sure he's he's trying to raise his hand at the moment to remind us all that uh, Whiffman Connects make a perfectly good reusable link with infinitely. It's basically infinitely reusable because there's no like locking mechanism to it. It just uses uh, the shape and geometry to hold it together. Uh, as far as I know, they don't make one that's flat top chain compatible. I haven't seen one, um, but for for more regular shape chains, they typically have one in uh, every equivalent speed um, and they're expensive but uh but yeah they can be they can be very good as far as um you know for a travel bike use they you you don't need a tool to undo them and uh and yeah you can always reuse them without having to worry um I have had them make some noise in certain drivetrains but for for your travel bike Kaylee, it should it should work well <laughs> because it's gonna be making noise anyway is that what is yeah because you yeah I mean your bike's barely holding together because <laughs> when you unpack it you literally just unzip it and then hold the bag a foot from the ground and let your mosaic drop to the ground so it's um anyway dave's seen this in action uh and yet and yet i've been traveling with this thing for well this bike and the previous one for close to a decade with no issues yeah. knock on all of the wood i'm, I'm pretty confident uh, kaylee doesn't normally drop his bike onto the concrete ground and he purely was willing to do it for just knowing how much it would uh disturb me so um i can respect deeply, that deeply deeply yeah yep i mostly just troll you dave that's really that's why fair. i'm here yeah. all right i'm gonna i'm gonna cut it off today thank you to our live studio audience here on discord we appreciate all of you appreciate all the questions Thanks to everybody out there who's listening. Thanks to all of our members, everybody who has signed up so far. And keep an eye out in the next couple of days for a website. It's coming soon. <laughs>